Good, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Oh, one more time. Good morning, everybody. Um, I was at a convention I spoke at last week in New York, and just give me a bit more on this if you can. And I am uh, constantly amazed as, as to the metamorphosis that's happening in our church. That more and more churches are realizing is that, uh, let me say it this way. <clears throat> when I was growing up, there was this singer uh, called Elvis Presley. How many remember him? Yeah, yeah. And, and there was a saying that they used to say about Elvis Brotherhood is, is that people used to hang around uh, the venues where uh, he had performed because they wanted to catch a sighting of Elvis. And, and of course, you know, the famous saying was what? Elvis has left the building. Uh, but now around uh, this country, churches are now leaving the building. Because more ministry happens outside the building uh, than inside the building. Uh, in other words, for the ministry to grow inside the building, it's got to occur out there first. And there are churches who are arriving at the place where they're having a wake-up call, an aha moment uh, uh, that says if we just stay in the building and we comfort each other, we're going to die on the vine. But all of a sudden, a few weeks ago, you had seven, uh, 800 people. Uh, that were out here on this lot. That 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 is touch your neighbor and say that's unreal. Let him know. <laughs> uh, only only God can do that uh, because sometimes to reach people or reach people, there's going to be some unconventional methods. But 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 by the way, what seems unconventional to us is very conventional with God. Uh, because sometimes we try to put God within this box and say, unless we do it this way, that means God. But don't don't you cannot begin to define how God is going to move. Because God sometimes is working in ways that we can't even see or understand. And there are people who will walk onto this property because of what you did a couple of weeks ago and the other things that would have never walked into this building. Amen. So I just want to put your hands together for what God has done here uh, in this church. I, uh, I was telling the pastor, I, I saw some folk in t-shirts. I never thought, I was, Brother Harvey, I'm so glad to see you. This is wonderful, I tell you. Uh, this morning, everyone is looking uh, very good. Now, I'm going to continue with the theme that uh, pastor, and I speak more uh, regarding him at the second service. I want to speak this morning for just a few moments on a theme that he has been advancing uh, in this whole 40 family, uh, 40 days, especially uh, in his Wednesday evening presentations uh, on worship. But I want to uh, uh, sort of tweak it uh, uh, just a little bit. I want to get away uh, this morning from just talking about how to do family worship, to talk about the benefits and the reasons uh, of, of, of this whole thing of, listen to this, of leading uh, your family in the family worship. The emphasis there is leading. Everyone shout, leading. Leading your family in the worship is not something that just happens by happenstance. But I'm going to show you the benefits of that. And um, I'm going to hit some things this morning uh, that could get tiny a bit uncomfortable, but we'll get over it as we go through. Let's pray one more time this morning. Father in heaven, this morning we thank you uh, for the Holy Spirit that has already occupied this room. You said in your word of where two or three of your people gather, or wherever your people gather, this is what you said. You said, I'm going to be right in the middle of you. And so this morning, God, we acknowledge, Father, through the means of your Holy Spirit and the person of your Holy Spirit, that you are right here, right now. 
that's amazing to us that God is right here, right now. And so, Lord, thank you for the holiness of the environment, God. Thank you, Lord, for just the sense of your presence. And we just bless you this morning, God, that you even show up and we're not consumed in the process. Thank you for your grace, for our prayers in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. If you love God, just shout, I love God. And let me try one more time with a smile on your face. Shout, I love God. Now watch this, everybody. Um, this whole thing of leadership in the family has been one that has, I don't know about you, but it has challenged all of us. This whole idea that in order to lead our families in the worship means that there must be a spiritual leader there. The challenge of what has happened for us uh, is the fact that we have, uh, we have misordered what God has ordered. And everything that God uh, deals with, there is always, look at everybody, there's always an order to how God works. Uh, there is order uh, when it comes to his universe. Uh, we know that the sun rises in the east and it sets for everybody uh, in the west. And of course, in Ohio, we have not seen the sun, so we can't confirm it. We assume that it's, we assume that it's happening. Uh, there, there's an order in the universe. We know that, that, that the stars are in their place. That is, that is, that is uh, astronomy 101. I'm trying to say that everything that happens in this universe is already pre ordered by God. Pre-ordered. Now that's key, everybody, because sometimes in this world we just assume that things are happening. But 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 everything that God does, there is order. Someone shall order. Not only that, uh, but that He has ordered how His church should function. And, and again, Pastor, this morning laid out in practical terms in the book Ministry of Healing exactly how the church is ordered. And the order there, the church is an evangelistic organization or organism or entity. And of course, how it does evangelism is by meeting people's needs first. Then it says, follow me, that, uh, uh, what, what, uh, how it's laid out, that God says, then follow me, because the needs are met first. So there's an order in terms of how the church functions. As you know, there's an order uh, in the infrastructure. There's an order uh, how God even wants the church to function. But watch this, everybody. Um, of course, he is also ordered the family. And, and in ordering the family, uh, some things have happened that, that Satan has clearly tried to corrupt. And, 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 and that, is, that is simply this. I need to go back on that one. Here I go. Uh, of course, he has ordered the family. And in God's order, the, um, that person who takes the lead in the home is who, everybody? The man. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. 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 And in the black community, this is a challenge. That the order that God set up is that we as men are the ones who have been designated uh, as the spiritual leaders of our family. Now, you've heard that a million and one times, but I want to emphasize here, that is the order that God has set up. Not only that, as you read this, is that a person takes the lead in the home as a man, the husband and the father. The Bible says in 1 Timothy uh, 1 or 2.13 that God created the man first and then the woman. And so men are called to lead spiritually in the home and uh, family worship and gives the man the great platform in order to lead. I was trying to get that all written down uh, a couple of days ago, trying to say it just right, is that the platform that God has set up, he says, I've set this thing for, man, uh, for men in order to lead these families 
spiritually. And what has happened is that through the, I want to use a word that may be overblown, overstated, but it is so true, through the decimation of the family, especially the black family, there are a majority of homes of where that order is no longer, not only is it not in play, it has never been in play. If we were to take a poll this morning, most of you are like me. I was raised in a single parent family. I never saw a man lead my family. And so I'm trying to figure out, when I finally got my family, as even as a pastor, how do I do this because, I, because our family was out of order from the beginning. And the unfortunate thing uh, is that not being ordered, it seemed perfectly normal to me. But that was not God's order. Watch this, everybody. Because of uh, sin, the preferred order, someone shout, the preferred order. Uh, 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 watch me, watch me, everybody. Shout this out loud. Preferred order. Preferred order. The order that I had growing up and the order that has evolved because or devolved because of divorces and separations and, 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 and sometimes brothers checking out, the preferred order is not being found. And so let me just state here categorically, that means that as, and this is not off my notes, parenthetically, that means, ladies and gents, grandparents and parents, it means that somehow we've got to begin to teach our young males and young boys about the order. And one of the best ways to do that is in family worship. So what has had to happen, what, is, what has happened is that godly women have had to step up to the plate. The preferred order was that men lead spiritually. And so what you have is the backup plan, the plan B, because God always has a plan B. It's called, for us, it's called what? The plan of salvation. Because there was never God's purposes for sin to enter the world. But the backup plan is that I'm going to save you no matter what happens. Are you with me, everybody? And so godly women, look at me, everybody, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Godly women have had to step into the gap. They've had to step into the gap because we, as brothers, have created the gap. Now, I'm not here this morning to beat upon men. I'm just trying to show you the order. Watch this, everybody. The point is that in every family, there has got to be somebody. There's got to be somebody who steps up as spiritual leader. Somebody. Watch this, everybody. Think about it. Think about it. If the only person your child can look up to as a spiritual leader is their pastor or youth pastor, then you as a parent or spiritual leader have totally failed in your responsibility. In other words, if this brother right here, Elder Davis and Elder Rudd and, 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 and Pastor Evans are, are, are the people that your kids say, they are the ones that look up as spiritual leaders. No, they are secondary spiritual leaders. Because the order of the home is that, that, that the spiritual leader arises out of the home. I mean, if you're with me, everybody, shout I'm with you. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. And so, and so the, the responsibility that God gave you to lead your family towards, towards, look at me, everybody, towards godliness, it was never the pastor's primary responsibility to do that for your home. God says the person who teaches godliness in your home is you. Watch this, everybody. Watch this. 
So not only is family worship, uh, um, you know, uh, has to have a spiritual leader, but I'm gonna pause here and take my time on this section because this is so critical for Adventist Christians. Um, I need a white sweat because black preachers sweat. Let the church see you, man. And I need to come out of this coat if I can. Because uh, I sweat when it's 30 below zero. So this is, no. Let me talk about this, everybody. A platform for the gospel. Let me talk about the gospel, everybody. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. The gospel is not initially teaching about the Sabbath. The gospel is not teaching initially about, about health reform. Because one of the things that has happened in my denomination, in my faith, my faith community, which I love and I bless and I respect, is that somehow we have mixed up information about our doctrinal beliefs with what is the essence of the gospel. And what happened to me growing up is that I knew about the Sabbath, I knew about health reform, it didn't work, you know, but you know, but I knew about it, you know. Turn to your neighbor and say, me too. Let it, come on, God, be honest. Be honest, be honest. Don't hate on me, because you know, it's, it, I mean, I'm going to hate on you. Okay, watch this, everybody. Watch this, watch this, watch everybody. Here's the gospel, everybody. The gospel I got to teach my kids is that Jesus came to this world in the middle of a world of sin in order to save sinners. Jesus, because he loved us so much, is that he died on the cross. And because he died on the cross, that means that he was making a provision for my sins. And not only did he die on the cross for my sins, uh, but he rose again in order that there is a possibility that I can rise again and have eternal life. And so my job, my job, my job as a parent is to lead my children to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The dilemma is uh, I can't lead where I have not been. And the challenge is, is that sometimes we got parents who have never received Jesus themselves. They have never experienced what it means to be saved. And I received Jesus and I see my sins. And God, thank you, God, for dying on the cross. Because if I replace it with information and they don't understand the cross and what Jesus did, all I got is what? Kids who are pushing for behavior, but they never know Jesus. If you're with me, would you say amen? So, 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 watch this. So, the best place to lead kids to Christ is in family worship. Did you hear what pastor said? That, that, that his dad uh, made an appeal in family worship. I mean, it's, your kids are not coming down front doing revivals and everything. Praise God for revivals and meetings. But the first place they get introduced to Jesus is in that home. For parents, men, women, and grandparents. So watch this, everybody. So watch this. So one of the chief responsibilities of parents is to share the good news of the gospel. Everybody, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. What I did not, I did not say all the other informational things. I'm saying that the thing that brings our whole belief system together as evidence, it starts on the cross, what Jesus did there. Let me give you some... Break this down a little further. I was in my second year of college before someone introduced me to Jesus Christ. And I was a ministerial student. 
I don't remember the whole time I was growing up in the church that anyone talked about a personal relationship with Jesus. We used to have evangelistic meetings every single year. And back in the day, uh, the pastors used to stay in the meetings for what? 13 and 14 weeks. My pastor, who came to pastor this church after he pastored us, Elder L.G. Rummings, let me remember L.G. Rummings, yeah. Elder Rummings, we would start our evangelistic meetings in July and then go back to the church in November. And we used to have heaters down the middle of the thing. And, and then, of course, all my pastors came through and, and, and all my Sabbath school teachers. And, and I loved them all. And I loved my teachers. And I loved my, 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 my folk. But no one ever talked about coming to Christ. And can you imagine growing up and no one talks about Jesus? And so the whole thing of my thing was, I got to make sure that we got this, the shoes shined on the Sabbath, our beds are done, everything is done, praise God for that. I got to make sure that I'm exercising a vegetarian diet, there's nothing wrong with that, but Christ was never there. So even in our family worship, when we read the morning watch, we read the morning watch, not one of those morning watches growing up, talked about, while growing up, talked about a personal relationship with Jesus. Even in the children's stories on Sabbath, it was always about, now you must be obedient. If you listen to children's stories, all of them go there. And there's nothing wrong being obedient with the church, amen. But my job is to is to embrace the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves, that Jesus died. He rose again for my, for, for, for my salvation. I've got to be able to introduce my child to Christ. If you believe that, would you say amen? amen. Now, pause. Look at me, for, look at me, everybody. Don't raise your hands. But again, some of you in the room this morning have never, ever met Jesus himself. And let me use the terminology again. You can't lead where you haven't been. And so some point at the end of the second service this morning, we're going to take some time to lead some folk to Christ. To finally receive Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Let me explain something. One of the challenges in my faith community, even talking like that, because we feel that we are watering down things to say, well, you, you got to do more than that to receive Jesus. You mean, you got to do all of this stuff here. You go see, no, no, everybody, everybody. No, 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 no. The only thing I got to do is receive Christ. That plus nothing. But it's out of my receiving Christ that I want to reflect Christ and obey him. But I got to receive him first to even want to want to. Let the church say amen. Do you see the sequence? Do you see the order, everybody? Now watch this. Watch this. This gets better. Watch this. Watch this. That is, my job is to lead your children to Christ, but watch this. It's not the responsibility, as Pastor mentioned, of the pastor, the youth leader, or the children's teacher to replace parents and leading their kids to receive Christ. And without raising your hands, without raising your hands, uh, how many of you in your homes as grandparents and as parents, males or females, fathers and mothers, that you have actually, don't raise your hand, have actually can remember the time that you actually sat and you actually led your kid to Christ to receive salvation? And if that hasn't been done with grandparents and yet kids run around here, the fact is take that time. To leave them over and over because teaching the gospel is not a one-time thing. Watch this, everybody. So the gospel is not something to be heard once. 
It needs to be heard, everybody, over and over again. Now, as I go to the next slide, I want you to buckle your seatbelts. Obey the man of God, turn to the person beside you and say, buckle your seatbelts. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Family worship is also a platform for prayer. Now, I'm, I'm not going where you think I'm going to go with this. Watch this, everybody. Most Christians struggle with intentional times of prayer. Most of us struggle with that, just trying to carve out that time on a regular basis in order to pray. I'm not talking about the snatches of prayer. That's all good because we're going to pray without ceasing. But trying to carve out those moments day after day where I actually go wait in God's presence. Well, I'm actually talking to God, and it's uninterrupted. It's carved out. It's atten- it's, it is very much intentional. Most of us struggle with trying to find that time. Family worship allows that to happen, at least in the group atmosphere. Watch this. Family worship provides an opportunity to pray not only for the needs of your family, but for your church, your community, and for one another. And can you imagine with your kids and your grandkids around, where you not only oh, got them praying, they're praying for the, the needs in your family, they're praying for pastor, yes. they're praying yes. for the church, yes. or they're praying for the needs of the community, they're praying for their school. Can you imagine that, that in your worship, your kids are learning how to intercede? Yes. So with that in mind, the, the thing becomes, uh, it provides the opportunity to raise up prayer warriors. I mean, I, the most powerful thing that happened, guys, is all of a sudden you got grandkids, you got kids, and these little kids are 7, 8, and 13 become prayer warriors. But they learn how to call out to God. They learn how to intercede. They learn how to believe God for things that God has promised. I remember, not by intentionality, almost by accident, because of our own desperation, my wife and I have gone through a lot of things, you know, with life, life hits you at times, of where you got to call out to God. I remember uh, uh, we ain't never had no money. Can I get a witness, anybody? <laughs> anybody on my street this morning? <laughs> and I remember we were, some years ago, we had a car. Um, it was a Chrysler Colt Vista. Um, it's no longer in existence, and I can tell you why. <laughs> The whole transmission died on us, and this is at one of those seasons, which was pretty normal, where we never had any money. And so, when we went to get the thing fixed, Chrysler's transmissions in that thing cost us $3,000 to get fixed. Now, my kids are, at this point, what, Brenda, seven, eight, uh, and Andy's a little younger than at that point, and they're watching us in our home, just struggling how we're going to pay for this. We have no transportation, and so we had to go down to the bank and take out a loan to get the car fixed. Can I get a witness, anybody? $3,000. Now, you know, we, we got in the family worship, we were praying about this, and my kids observing us praying, and, 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 and we, we finally got a fix. We were in debt, $3,000, and two weeks later, the engine died in that vehicle. Watch me, everybody. I'm, I'm talking about trying to raise your kids up to become prayer warriors. My kids are prayer warriors. Well, here's what happened. We needed a car bad at that point. The only problem is that we had no money. And the last time I checked, you gotta have money to buy a car. Well, we went up to Don Joseph's Airport Toyota one Sunday afternoon uh, north of Dayton, Ohio. I was living in Huber Heights. 
And uh, my wife and I remember this like yesterday because here's what God did. We went up there and we saw Brother Whitted a Toyota Previa. That was when minivans were coming out back in the dark ages, back in those days. And, uh, <laughs> and the lot was closed and we parked on the road, stepped over the wire and went and began to look at vehicles, no money. My wife was praying in her spirit, I'm praying. We try not to panic the children uh, because um, we had rented a little car to go up there. Can you imagine, you're already in debt, you gotta rent a car to move around, which is gonna put you deeper in debt. I'm talking, has anybody in this room ever been desperate before? <laughs> Let me try to scare. Has anybody in this room ever been desperate before? Let me tell you something everybody, when you get desperate, your prayers go to an entirely different level. You no longer say, Lord bless you. Oh, Lord! <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and by the way, my wife would tell you, I go there. I go there. That's why it's important that we don't live in an apartment. Because I go there. And even in this assignment I have right now, which I'm more pastor than president, I never left the pastor. Um, that's why I'm going back to the pastor as quick as I can. You know, <laughs> because the place to be is pastoring. Yes, sir, Really is. And so I find myself at times not knowing what to do. And so I get in my little office and I begin just to scream out to God. Because when you're desperate, your prayers are more intense. Because you have nothing to lean on. Well, and that's, and that's true, by the way. That's true. We found a maroon. Was it maroon? A maroon? Yeah, well, of course I know it was a maroon. Maroon Toyota Previa. And it was a five-speed. Because uh, we couldn't afford an automatic. We couldn't afford the five-speed. By the way, everybody, this is for those who know, the stick costs cheaper than a, I'll give you a commercial, okay? Anyway. <laughs> so we're standing outside of heaven and we said, well, this one, and, but my wife said, we ain't got no money. I said, you're right, we didn't have no money. And so I took Ashley, Andy, and Brenda, we just held hands, and me and Brenda prayed nice parental prayers, but all of a sudden my six-year-old, seven-year-old daughter and my four-year-old son became prayer warriors. My son said, Lord, you know my parents ain't got no money. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> I mean, the brother cut to the chase. I said, why don't you start off by saying, the Lord, you bless you. He said, you know my parents ain't got no money. And, and Lord, we ain't got no car. <laughs> and Lord, we need you. I said, do we need you? And I opened my eyes. I said, who is this Negro? <laughs> <laughs> that boy calling on God yeah. then my daughter took over and picked up the baton and began to say Lord you gotta come through for us yeah. my daughter said Lord you gotta come through for us yeah. I said where did she get the language from them kids begin to intercede they begin to call on God they begin my son my daughter even used a passage of scripture and my wife and I are praying, dignified. They have lost all their dignity. They prayed because they know they're in trouble. <laughs> this is a true story. Uh, we got back in our rental and I said, we got the car, baby. We got the car. I don't know how we got the car. After those intercessions, God cannot not answer them. Because they are desperate. That's why... I don't like folk praying for me who ain't desperate. They ain't been through nothing. And their prayers is, Lord, you know Pastor Russell's dying with cancer. God help him. No, I want you. Lord! 
says he is. No, seriously. Come on, preacher. Well, Monday morning, I took the rental car and drove Brenda to work, drove the kids down to the academy, and went back up there to get the car. I didn't know it was going to be all day trying to get that car. About 4 o'clock that evening, I drove off that lot with that previous. By the way, everybody, remember the children of Israel were going through the desert and the shoes never wore out? We kept that car. Our children were raised in that car. And when they went off to college, we still had that car. And by the time we got rid of that car, that car had almost a half a million miles on it. That's the best car we have ever had. That was a car where my children learned how to become champions in prayer. When they, become, they became intercessors, they began to call on the name of the Lord. And I'm trying to tell you, everybody, my job, your job, is to raise up prayer warriors. There is nothing as powerful as your children begin to see ancient prayers in your home. My kids had a front row seat a couple of, uh, two years ago when I was pastoring here in Cleveland. And of course, Cleveland is one of my favorite cities because this is the biggest city I ever lived in when I was growing up. And when I became a pastor, this is the biggest city I've ever been in. I love Cleveland to the day. So when I come into Cleveland, I always drive out 105 in the East Cleveland to see what's up in Cleveland. <laughs> so um, my wife and I got audited while I was here in Cleveland. And they said we needed $18,000 in back taxes because someone had messed up on our taxes. And, um, and my wife, we got married, and my wife, I had got them done two times, or time before we got married, and I got the same person to do it, and my wife said, they don't look right, because we would get back a lot more money than we put in. Yeah. And she said, they don't look right. I said, what's the problem? I mean, <laughs> money coming back. <laughs> and um, two years later, we got audited for penalties of $18,000. My children are very small, smaller than the previa. And even then, my daughter had begun to learn, learn how to pray. Here's when they saw answer the prayers. They began to see Brenda and I, because we've been desperate, <laughs> we were calling on God. I went to the bank, took my daughter, my wife with me, went to the bank and we put out some loan papers to take care. It was the old Ameritrust Bank. I remember Ameritrust some years ago. <laughs> went to the bank to take out a loan and said, call us back tomorrow. We called the bank back tomorrow, the next day, and we said, we're going to check on the loan and we're going to pick up the check. They said, Mr. Russell, we can't loan you the money. So then I'm coming up to the bank. So my wife and I drove to the bank, kids in tow, and I said, uh, I need the money. I told you I've been desperate, everybody. When you're desperate. <laughs> No, I said, we, we were turning our tithe, God. We, we tried to operate our business soundly according to the word of God. But Lord, this has happened to us, and so we can't give you the money. And, and I said to the manager, I said, uh, to the loan officer, I said, who's above you? Uh, she said, uh, the bank manager is above me. I said, can I speak to him? He came up and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, Pastor Russell, because sometimes you drop passive, things can happen. <laughs> but, but, but that brother didn't get it. You know? <laughs> He says, Mr. Russell, I, I'm telling you, we, we, can't, we can't loan you the money. And, and he used this little terminology. I'm talking about the debt-to-income rate. Can I get a witness in anybody? Yeah. I said, what is this demon, debt-to-income ratio? <laughs> in other words, you got more money seemingly going out than coming in. And, of course, we didn't, but we were right on the bubble. Um, so um, I said, uh, who's above you? 
And my, my daughter looked at me and said, oh, daddy, where is he going? I said, who's above you, sir? Uh, he says, well, there is the area manager. I said, would you mind giving me a call of introduction in order uh, for me to appeal that? He says, I have no problem, Mr. Russell. Later that afternoon, I get a call from the bank, and the brother tells me who he is, and Mr. So-and-so, and he, and he says, Mr. Russell, I won't waste your time. Uh, what the branch manager told you is true. We cannot loan you the money. Now, my kid is sitting beside me because every day in family worship, Brenda and I are praying in front of them. Let me try one more time. We are praying in front of them, and we're not keeping back from them what we're praying about. There are some things you want to keep private. Then there are things before your kids, they need to see the journey. Oh, come on, are you with me? Say amen. They, they, they need to see the journey. I'm trying to tell you, everybody. They need to see the journey. So the brother says, I can't do it. I said, who's above you? And he says, well, there's the district manager. I said, would you mind giving me a call of introduction? True story. Called the district manager the next day. He said, Mr. Russell, I was expecting your call. And uh, he says, um, uh, what, what's on your mind? I said, well, sir, I can afford this loan, and, and I need it for taxes. My, we got a letter from the IRS that they're coming after us unless we can make good on this. He said, Mr. Russell, I'm so sorry. I hear you, but we cannot loan you the money. I said, well, who's above you? He says, there is an area vice president. I said, would you mind giving me a call of introduction? When you're desperate, you do desperate stuff, everybody. Amen. Amen. We'd already been praying at home that God was going to come through. Our kids were already seeing that, that we were trying to trust God on this, even though we didn't see how this was going to work out. Because sometimes the most dangerous part of the prayer, when you can't see how. You can't see how. Well, they give me a call to the executive vice president. I mean, uh, uh, every vice president. I call him. He said, Mr. Russell, I was expecting your call. He says, you are becoming very famous in this thing. <laughs> A lot of folk are aware of you. <laughs> and he says, Mr. Russell, I, I, I will not dare uh, you know, take your time here. He says, I'm sorry, we just cannot loan you the money. And I said, who's above you? And they said, well, there's the executive vice president for the whole Ameritrust Bank. I said, would you mind giving me a call of introduction? He says, I have no problem. I called his office. His secretary is expecting me to call. She says, the vice president will like you and your wife to come in. You know that day, Brenda? We go downtown and we get off on the high floor of the bank. You know, when we open the door, the carpet is thick. And when you walk, you're just bouncing as you walk down. And, and, I, and I knew I was at the top because I saw no brothers anywhere. And I said, hey, 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 hey. I said okay, we've never been here before. This is wonderful. <laughs> So, um, so we're walking down the hallway, and I got Brenda beside me, and got the kids. I said, "Baby, look poor, look poor." <laughs> we walk into the office, and I mean, two little black kids, little black couple, young black couple, and we open the door, and the secretary says, "You must be Pastor Russell." <laughs> I said. <laughs> She says, I said, I am. She said, just have a seat. Mrs. Jenrette will be right with you. Now, my kids are with us because we got no babysitter because we can't afford a babysitter at that point. And uh, we in trouble. So um, we sit for a few minutes and all of a sudden on her cadenza, what, what time is my time? Ten minutes. I, I hit it. Okay. She says, doo -doo 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 -doo. she says, uh, uh, Mr. Russell is here. Uh, he says, oh, give me about a minute. And all of a sudden the cadenza rings again. Doo -doo. 
send them in. And so uh, we leave the kids in the outer area and we walk in. He says, Mr. Russell, uh, Pastor Russell, I am yeah. so glad to meet you. Yes. I've heard so much about you. Yes, <laughs> True story. <laughs> we sit down and he sits down and, and we sit down and he says, uh, Mr. Russell, you know, uh, how, how can I help you? I had bought our personal financial uh, reports with him and I, and I later on I said, we believe we can afford this loan. This is what my income is. This is what's going out. We got more than enough to pay the loan. This is what the payments will be. I was told. He says, Russell, um, and how'd you get here? I understand you got here because of some taxes. He says, you know, you need some tax help. He says, you know, my priest also has to, I said, oh my God, the mark of the beast. God, I, 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 said, you know, I said, how do I get this? I'm going to see Because, you know, at that point, I didn't think no one would save but us. And I didn't recognize that sometimes yeah. God has yes, got the people yeah. sitting in other places. Yeah. Yeah. Th those are the ones that are not of this fold he talks about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, he gets on the phone and he says, doo -doo 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 -doo. now I didn't know that he's calling the top tax accounting firm in this area. Now I can't afford these guys in a million years. He says, uh, John, this is Bob. I said, okay, John and Bob. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it ain't black, Johnny and Bob, okay? <laughs> he says, um, I got one of our best customers sitting here. Yeah. I said, okay, yeah. you're not going to give me a loan, but I'm your best customer. I said, okay, okay. He said, I got one of our best customers sitting here, and I like to bring he and his wife and family down. I like to bring them down. Yeah. Well, he gets up, and he takes Brent and I in tow. We grab Ashton and Andy. We go down one floor to the top tax accounting firm in the metro area. We cannot afford these guys. But when you got God, it's amazing what happens. I'm trying to tell you. Now, my kids who have been in family worship have been hearing us call out to God with this matter. And, and God is trying to raise us some prayer warriors that they actually believe in God, that God will come through. Well, anyway, we go down, go downstairs, and, and, and Mrs. Jarrett, who is Bob, walks in and says, hey, John, how are you? And John says, hey, what's the problem? And I lay out the situation. He says, I'll tell you what, we're going to put our top tax accountant on it. I said, well, sir, let me stop you right here. My wife and I can afford this. He said, don't worry about it. We owe a favor to Bob. So, wow. <laughs> you know, I said, okay, great. Well, a top tax accountant comes in, and I got my, not on my financial report, my tax returns. He stopped flipping through them, and Mr. John is going back, and Bob is going, uh, John is going back, and he says, uh, guys, in his field, he says, Mr. Russell, I think we can save you some money. And of course, because I get loud at times, I say, oh, praise God, right in the boardroom, corporate boardroom, dead white guys on the walls, all over the place. And I say, oh, praise God, he starts smiling. And he says, uh, get back with me about three weeks. The problem in three weeks, the taxes are due. My, my children hear this, and for three weeks, my wife and I are praying, praying yeah. God. And my children have begun to pray, because they're younger than they were to the pray They said, Lord, help mommy and daddy. Well, watch this, everybody. I call, I'm, I'm, I'm brought back into the bank, uh, the accounting firm in three weeks. And he says, this is Mr. Russell. Uh, Pastor Russell, you, you no longer owe $18,000. He says, we have worked this thing down or will you owe only $9,000. Cut it in half. 
man, I was praising God and I was thanking God for what he had done. Then I stopped and I said, Phil, I got one problem. He's so upset, Mr. Russell, because he's laughing. I said, uh, I don't have $9,000. <laughs> he said, well, hold on one second. <laughs> Vice President Bank calls upstairs. He says, uh, he says, Bob, this is Phil. Now that's John Bob Phil. And uh, all of the brothers are there. He calls, he says, uh, I just worked past Russell's tack. I hear Mr. Jones say, oh, great, 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 Phil. He says, uh, but, but he didn't have any money, even the 9,000. He said, put him on the phone. I says, uh, yes, sir. I said, um, Mr. Jones, Pastor Russell, he says, uh, he said, I understand that everything worked out. I said, it did, but I said, he says, I'll tell you what, go downstairs and take that loan out again. I said, yes, sir. You know, uh, you know. <laughs> I know no shame at that point. Yes, sir, boss. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. I go back downstairs. In the meantime, in family worship, my kids know that day, this is the day. Because they have been praying. Because they need to take the journey with us. I go downstairs to the lobby. I'm taking, this is the main branch now. I'm taking out the loan. The lady puts my stuff in. She begins to key it in. My old stuff comes up. Sometimes with people, your old stuff can come up. You know what I'm saying? The old stuff comes up. And she said, Miss Russell, did you take out a loan here a few weeks ago? I said, yes, ma'am. And she says, will you decline? Yes, ma'am. I said, have your, has your financial situation? I said, no, ma'am. Uh, she says, then we can't loan you the money. I says, well, Mrs. John Rat sent me down here. She says, Mr. John Rat. I said, yeah, Bob sent me down here. <laughs> Yeah, I did. Hey, I went there. I went there. Yeah, I did. I went there. I said, Bob. <laughs> Bob and I hang out at the golf course. You know? I said, Bob sent me down here. She, she said, she, she, she didn't believe me. She turned around. She said, duh, 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 duh. got into his office. John Rat, I have a, a uh, Pastor Russell down here. And he, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, sir. She says, uh, Mr. Russell, who should I make the check out to? <laughs> went back home, yes, went back home and told my kids, and be, not only are they prayer warriors, but now they become praise warriors. Because in, in our family, in our family, we do lift up holy hands. <laughs> without doubt, without wrath. <laughs> That's what Paul says. We begin to praise God. <laughs> it was a God, thank you. But the kids had to go on the journey. And they found out about that journey, how? In family worship. Because it provides the opportunity to raise up prayer warriors, powerful intercessors in, in family worship. Watch this, everybody. Watch this. Family worship is a platform for real conversation. I got, what, five minutes here, two minutes? Two minutes, I hit it. Platform for real conversation because as you recognize in most families, uh, most families lack communication yeah. and some of it has to do with finding time to sit down and talk together. And so what happens is that families simply don't take the time to sit down and share one another in real honest and vulnerable ways we just talk together. One of the best places that to happen is in family worship. A regular time of family worship provides an opportunity just to share with each other. What's going on with you? How is school? How are you feeling? What's going on? Family worship does that. I'm talking about the benefits of doing this thing. Watch this. If family members know that there's a safe, consistent time to share, they will communicate. If there's a safe, consistent time to share, they will communicate. Amen. Here we go.
a great time for Bible study. That's family worship. Yes, it is. It's an awesome time for Bible study because when your family knows the truth is found in Jesus and God's word, the result will be a greater degree of godliness. Uh, and, and so what I'm doing when I take my family into worship and I begin to teach them the word of God, and by the way, everybody, I enjoy devotional books, but I much prefer when I'm just sharing the word with my family. Well, my kids get used to not to going to all the proxy things. Because you can raise kids who never open the Bible. They open the Sabbath school quarterly, they open a devotional book, but they never open the Bible. And there's a power of just sometimes just reading the scriptures. You ain't got to preach it or teach it, just read the word. Let them read a verse, you read a verse. If you're with me, say amen. So, watch this, watch this. So, so, so. Not only is family worship a good place to teach the word, but family worship is a place to transfer values. And Richard, come and play softly for me if you would. Uh, Richard's my former musician when I was young. When we were both were young. <laughs> the place to transfer values. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. This is so key. To transfer values. When you begin to teach your kids about integrity, Yes. We've been to teach them about honesty. We've been to teach your kids about about the how to care for others. Look at me, everybody. How to live authentically the word of God. Follow me, everybody. Not this craziness of where folk are cussing and fussing. Everyone is acting dishonest and, and you're cutting here and cutting there and, and trying to slip and slide and your kids are saying, what's wrong with this picture? You're transferring values. Care for others. You're teaching them what? Hard work. You're teaching them selflessness. But Andy and Ashley, look at me everybody. It's not just about you. The world does not revolve, revolve around you, son. Come on, girl. It's bigger than you. It's about your giving, not always taking. You're teaching and transferring values in family worship. You're teaching humility. You're teaching them to understand that, look at me, everybody, that God opposes the proud. Have a kid who gives grace to the humble. You're teaching them the values that, that come straight from the scriptures. And so our challenge is this. Spiritual leaders, our families are not always intentional about talking about values. And in an increasingly valueless culture, the transferring of values is critical. I just wrote that this morning. <laughs> and listen everybody. And the place you transfer values is in worship. You're just sharing, talking about God. So, my job is to raise up champions for Christ. Raise up champions. What I mean by that is kids who impact their world. I was watching on a video that Mr. Cameron showed me in my, at a K through 10 board meeting this weekend, and I, and I just saw Pastor Edwin's uh, opening day of RJA before the kids just pouring into them that they can impact their world. They, was, they, were, they were ready, they were at their school for something more. 
But I, could, I was blessed by that, by the way. I had church at board meeting uh, watching that. Uh, raising up young Daniels, young Josephs, young Timothys. That's what you do in worship. You're pouring into them. Not only that, but you're teaching them how to be radical Christians. Let me tell you what I mean quickly about that, everybody. Radical Christians, I told them this last week. Let me give you a 10-second version. That means where you actually don't just talk about the word, but you authentically live the Bible. You return good for evil. You don't speak against other people. That you got all the cussing and fussing in your home. You're living the Bible, not just on Sabbath morning. That you pray for those who despitefully use you and say all manners of evil falsely. God says you don't have the ability to get them back. He says, teach your kids how to live the Bible. Actually live it. Praise God. Kids who cannot be bought or sold, who stand for the right no matter what. It comes down to this. Raising families that actually love God with all their hearts, their minds, and their souls. God bless you. Let's stand together. Were you blessed? Were you blessed? What a word. What a word. Father, we thank you so much for part one. And uh, we're under conviction. We're under conviction. We admit it. Family worship we see now.